All right, this is also in the time of the service where we uh, dismiss our children for children's church. So if you're a small child, you may be dismissed. All right. Uh, This morning I'm going to be uh, preaching out of Luke and... Uh, I kind of want. I'm going to read through the whole text that we're going to be going through this morning uh, before we dive in, and then I'll open up with a word of prayer. This is uh, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel." For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Let's pray. Father God, we just uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this season that we can open up your word and remember you coming, and you coming to save us. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our ears to your word. Uh, Use me as an instrument to encourage and challenge us this morning that we might uh, know more deeply about you and grow in our relationship with you uh, through the teaching of your word, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, when I was a young child, probably a third or fourth, maybe even a fifth grader, we'll go with fourth grader, um, I picked a fight with some, some boys during lunch. And I don't know why I picked this fight. I don't know what I was thinking because um, I naturally am not a fighter. I'm more of the type of person who will naturally cower in fear and run away. Okay? And so why I picked this fight with these kids is beyond me. But I did. And so I, I picked this fight. I said, you know, let's meet after school in, um, well, actually, it was the uh, Bits house, that the one that they own across from the elementary school. Yeah, this is where this fight happened. At, um, and uh, so we met in their yard. I'm assuming it's because no one lived there at the time. That's probably why we got away with it. So we met in this yard after school, and we got into a fight. Uh, there were a couple boys, and they pretty much just ganged up on me and pummeled me and beat me up until some older sixth graders broke up the fight. Um, so again, why I picked the fight, I, I don't know to this day, but amongst those people who beat me up was one Logan Darlington. I'll call him out by name. I don't mind. And, and so after that day, I, 
was not a fan of that guy. I won't lie. I did not like him at all because he was the one that held me down while the other guy punched me. And honestly, we were just little kids, so I don't imagine it being much of a bloody fight, but it was a fight nonetheless. And, and so years go by, and I get my first job. And I think I've talked about this before. I got my first job at a, at a pizza pro, uh, the old pizza pro down the road, the one that's a abandoned building now. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so I, I get this job, and uh, it, was a, it was a good job. I really enjoyed it. I uh, got the minimum wage back then, which was probably like 4 bucks an hour or something ridiculous like that. I don't remember. Um, and I got free food, so I took full advantage of that. You know, I'd cook myself a whole pizza and eat it. Don't judge. You would do the same if you were given the option to get free food like I was. And, and so I, I get this job, and I'm excited, and I have these expectations that, you know, I, I have this job, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be good. And, and then, you know, when I start, I have to work with this guy named Logan Darlington. And I didn't like this guy, right, at the time. And, and so... We, you know, and, and actually, too, as a total funny aside, I believe we were always scheduled together because my aunt, who was my boss, believed that because me and Logan ran in different circles, if there are really cliques or circles in Big Sandy because it's so small, but because we ran in different circles that we would probably work harder because we wouldn't be friends and we wouldn't be messing around, so we'd actually get some work done. I think that's what uh, her belief was. And, and man, was she wrong. Because as you, as you who know me and who have known me and Logan, like me and him became inseparable best friends. Like we were, you know, some would call it a bromance in some circles. And, and so we, we became friends. And actually, we became the type of friends where just yesterday I was talking to him on the phone and the call broke and I lost him. And I was like, oh, I guess he'll call me back. And not two minutes later, he knocked on my door and came and surprised me with a visit. It was really awesome. Um, uh, he has been a lifelong friend and a brother with, uh, for me for, for years. Um, and, and so when I stepped in to this pizza pro to start my job, I never expected that through getting a job um, and working this flipping burgers, making pizzas type job. I never expected to make this, this lifelong friend. Uh, I didn't expect it. It was very unexpected. And, and so this morning, we're going to be jumping into the book of Luke, and we're going to be continuing our series on the gospel according to Christmas. Um, and, and so far, we've so far we've been, as Eric started us in Genesis chapter 3, if you guys remember, uh, he started us out, uh, preaching about the first mention of the gospel in Genesis three, when <coughs> excuse me, when, <coughs> sorry, when God uh, promised to fix what Adam and Eve had done when they sinned against God, right? So you have that first mention of the gospel where He says that the descendant of the woman would crush the head of the snake, right? That's the first promise of the gospel. And so he preached about that. And then the next week he went with you into Isaiah chapter 9, and we talked about this child who would be born and that this child would hold the weight of the government on his shoulders and that he would come and he would be called Most High King, but in the flesh, right? And so we talked about that. We're preparing ourselves for Christmas. We're tracing the scarlet thread through the Old Testament. And then like last week, I came up here and gave you my oddball sermon on judges, right? Kind of out of left field. 
not a typical Christmas sermon. But through that, uh, I talked about Ehud, the hero of the story, hero of the story, who um, he used the skills he had to save his people. And he did that through uh, like a political assassination, which ended up being just a temporary fix. And I talked to you about how Jesus Christ was the ultimate fix. Do you guys remember that? Nod your heads if you do. If you don't, that's okay. I won't be offended. And, and so that's what we preached about last week. And so this week we're going to actually be jumping into the New Testament finally. We're actually start jumping into a gospel because, I mean, it's two weeks, a week till Christmas. So I figured we probably should get on that. And, and so we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke. And a few things about Luke before we actually dive into the story we're going to be diving into. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is written as part of a two-part series. It was written, uh, the first part is the Gospel of Luke, written by Luke the physician. And it's the, the Gospel story of Jesus' birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. And then part two of that series would be the book of Acts. Uh, Luke wrote both of these books for a man named Theophilus. We don't know much about Theophilus, but we do know that Luke wrote both of these books to uh, complement each other, be the sequel to the other, with the intention of uh, bringing the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to this Theophilus fella. And, and so then, like, Acts is the sequel to that. It's about the beginning of the church, and it's about uh, the church starting in its response to uh, the gospel that was preached in the gospel of Luke. And so, that's a little background on Luke. Uh, <clears throat> and before we actually dive into the text, we'll be diving into, I'm going to give you a little more context. Um, this particular praise is called the Benedictus, which means the blessing. That's what theologians call it. That's just Latin for blessing. They like to be fancy. I don't know why. Um, and, and so, what happened before he actually started Singing Because this is essentially a hymn. This is a song. And what happened before he actually preached this psalm or this hymn was, um, well, as you know, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. Or maybe you didn't know that, and now you do. Yeah, Zechariah, father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one that came and prepared the way for the Lord. He came preaching and baptizing, preparing for Christ to come. And, and so the story of Zechariah goes like this. He was in a temple one day, and he had been chosen to go into the inner temple to light incense. And that's a big deal for him in that day and age. And, and so he's, he's in there, and he's lighting his incense. He's probably a little nervous, hoping he doesn't light the incense wrong or something. Who knows? And all of a sudden, an angel appears before him. And the angel, I'm assuming, I mean, I'm assuming that Zechariah would be pretty freaked out, because most of the time this room's empty. And there's never anyone in there. And I imagine that angels like to make an entrance because they don't get to interact with us that often. So when they do, they want to make a, a big bang and a big show of it, right? If you read the other Gospels, he do, they do, in fact, do that. And, and so I imagine that he makes a big entrance, this angel, and freaks out Zechariah. And this angel tells Zechariah, hey, you are going to have a son. Your wife is going to be blessed with child. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. The Messiah is coming, right? And Zechariah's reaction was, and I don't know, I, I guess I get why he reacted the way he did, but I also don't at the same time. He, he kind of goes, well, wait, wait, angel. 
Wait, big, bright, beaming light, angel standing before me. Wait, my wife and I are really old, so I don't know. I don't know if this is actually going to happen. And so the angel responds by going, well, since you doubted, I'm going to take away your voice, and you're going to be mute for a while. And so he comes out of the temple. He's lost his voice. I'm assuming that the people outside of the temple who had been waiting for him to come out, because this was supposed to be like a pretty fast thing. You run in, light some incense, come out. And then so they're waiting, and they, maybe they saw the big bright light of the angel popping in. I don't know. Who knows? And, and they're anxiously waiting, and he comes out, and he can't talk. And they're wondering what happened, and he explains probably with a pen and pad or whatever the equivalent to that was back then, and explains to them that an angel had visited him and that he's going to have a kid and that he had doubted, and now he can't talk. And, and so, well, it happens. Elizabeth gets pregnant. They have a baby boy. The boy is born, I'm assuming healthily, and on the eighth day is as tradition for uh, this, um, for the tradition of the Jews. On the eighth day, they go to the temple and they circumcise the baby. And that's also around the time when they announce the name of the baby. And as tradition usually goes, they would name their firstborn son after the father. So the people would come up to Elizabeth, and still this time, Zechariah has been mute for like 10 months. Like, he has not been able to talk. I don't know. I think most pregnant women would probably enjoy that, maybe, because then, like, he can't talk back for 10 months, right? I would imagine that she rather enjoyed that for 10 months. Maybe he didn't, I would guess. But he definitely had a lot of time to think. And, and so uh, they're at the temple, and the people are like, oh, this must be baby Zechariah, right? Like, because that's usually what we do. Firstborn named after Zechariah. And then, nope, this is John. And so they're a little thrown off by that. And, and what happens next in the text is they go to Zechariah and they go, okay, Zechariah, what, like, what is his name? How do you, like, are, is your wife, like, off her rocker? Has she lost her mind? You said, John, who's, I don't know anyone in your family that's named John. This is kind of coming out of nowhere. And, and so they go to him and he writes down on a piece, piece of paper, as he has been for 10 months, and he says, his name is John. My boy, this is my son, his name is John. And when that happens, he's unmuted. It's as if God takes the remote and unmutes him. You can talk now. You can talk now, Zachariah. And his response is this song. And this is the song that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Zachariah's response to being able to finally talk after 10 months. And so let's jump in. Verse, I said 67, but it's actually 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Right, so right at the beginning of this, he's saying, blessed be God. I've been mute for 10 months. I've witnessed some things. I've had time to contemplate. And what's the first thing Zechariah does? He praises the Lord. He says, thank you, Lord. You are blessed. You are the God of Israel. And, And why? For he has visited and redeemed us. Um, The response to the for he has visited us and redeemed us is for him to praise the Lord. The reason he is saying blessed be the God of Israel is because because God has visited. That means he has come down and he has redeemed us. You will notice through the first section of this, and I'll just point this out now, that as we're walking through this, he's going to be talking in a past tense. Does that make sense? He's, he's speaking as if things have already happened in the past for the first section. 
So blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He has visited, he has come down, he has redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation. What's that mean? Horn, uh, in that day and age, when they talked about a horn, they were referring to something that was strong and powerful. Um, it would be like, uh, like us today saying, yeah, that boy is strong as an ox, right? Right? Two big, powerful beasts duking it out with their horns, right? That's the equivalent. And so what he's saying is, is that this salvation is powerful. And not only is it powerful, but it is for us in the house of his servant David. And this is a callback to 1 Samuel when David was promised by God that his throne and his kingdom and his reign would never really end, that he would someday get an heir who would fulfill that and then he would reign forever. And so Zechariah is praising God. He's praising God because he has visited, past tense, he has already redeemed, past tense, right? And it's interesting that, that he's doing this because John has just been born, Right? And, and you'll also notice that uh, this, whole is, this whole thing is one sentence. It's a very long, run-on sentence. <clears throat> and so uh, he was uh, through the throne of David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Essentially, what Zechariah is doing here is he is praising and worshiping God because God has fulfilled the promises that he said he would fulfill. Um, and if you think about it, it's not only that uh, Zechariah was a priest who had known the Old Testament like well, because most priests did back then. Uh, so he, 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 not only that, but he had 10 months to reflect on this encounter he had with the angel in preparation for this. And, and, and so he has been reflecting and contemplating and, and, and realizing that this is, this is the time. The time of the Messiah has come. And, uh, you know, here we'll read a few more verses. That, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to, his father, to our father Abraham. And so essentially what he's saying is, is that God back in Genesis chapter 12 promised uh, Abraham this promise that, that he would have a nation and a people for himself that would outnumber the stars. Like he, in, in this particular section in Genesis, God literally says, hey, Abraham, go ahead and count the stars in the sky. And he's trying to count them and it's 10, oh, I got to start over. And so he's trying to count the stars in the sky, and he realizes, obviously, they're innumerable. And he says, the people that will come from you will outnumber the stars in the sky. You will be a huge people, and uh, through your people, redemption will come. That was the promise. And so Zechariah is reflecting on that, and he's praising and worshiping God, because this is essentially a hymn. This is a song, and he's worshiping God, and he's saying, God is a promise keeper. God is a God who fulfills his promise. He says he's going to do something, and he does it. And we won't always 
like we will have expectations uh, that it'll happen in a certain time frame and in a certain way, but, but God works on his own clock, and he's going to do it in his timing. And Zechariah is realizing that, right? And he's saying, I can praise God because he actually is keeping his promises. To grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Something else worth pointing out, too, is that as you read this, the language is very much of uh, uh, he, he's saying that God is going to bring victory and destroy and uh, uh, dis- take down his enemies, right? He's saying, uh, he's speaking in a very like blunt language, and essentially what we understand it is, is that Zechariah's hopes and his expectations were that God, this Messiah, would come down and he would, and probably what was happening was, is in this prophecy, he's hoping that the enemy is going to be the Romans, right? We're going to take down those Romans finally, we're going to get our people back to the way it used to be, and we won't have to deal with the Romans anymore, because back in that day, the Romans were their enemies. And so when he's talking of this, he has this expectation that now that the Messiah has come, he can finally take down those stinking Romans. Oh, I've been waiting. And that was his expectation. And now in the next section, uh, this is kind of where the tense shifts. It goes from a past tense to a future tense. I keep on saying tense. Anyways. And, and so here's uh, the next verse. It says, and you, child, and, and now he's talking to his son, John. He's talking to his son, John. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, you'll notice that John isn't called to bring salvation to the people, but rather the knowledge of it. John is going to go forth and he's going to preach a message of, hey, you guys are sinners and you need forgiveness. This is much deeper than like an outer dealing with, uh, you know, like kind of like what I talked about last week when I talked about Ehud. Ehud brought a temporary fix to the picture. He assassinated a king so that they could have a temporary victory and get their land back temporarily. Because if you read the next chapter, they get captured again and repeat the same mistakes ad nauseum over and over again. And, And so it's. The message that John is preaching is going that he's going to preach that Zachariah is prophesying is that he's going to be saying forgiveness of sins, knowledge of salvation. These things are going to be deeper than uh, the surface fix, like Ehud, right? He's going to be dealing with the heart of the matter. He's going to be getting back to crushing the head of the snake back in Genesis three. He's going to he's actually going to Fix things for real this time. And and why is this going to happen? Because of the tender mercy of our God. How merciful is God to us that he would still come and save us despite us being rebellious? Right? Like you read the history of Israel, and it's a story marked with over and over and over again rebellion against God. And he still made the promise to Abraham that he would save him. That no matter what the people do, and yes, they are my children and I will punish them. Because he does. 
Read Judges sometime, like the whole book. But through all of that, he's still going to bring about the means to save them. And now Zechariah has been able to witness this, and he's rejoicing. And remember, he's been mute for 10 months, and so he has a lot to say. And so, so far, he's praised God because uh, the Redeemer has come. And he's praised God because his promises have been kept. Like he said he would do it, and now he's doing it. And Zechariah is witnessing that. Not only had he witnessed the, uh, the birth of John, but if you go back in, earlier in the chapter, he was present when Mary came and visited Elizabeth. You guys remember this story? Mary, pregnant with Jesus, visits Elizabeth, who at the time was pregnant with John. And, and you know the story. They're talking, and John kind of flips in the womb over and over again at the presence of his Savior being present in the womb of Mary. And then Mary sings this awesome song. It's called the Magnificant. Magnificent. I probably mispronounced it, but just go with it. And, and, and so Zechariah had been witness to this. And so not only did he know that his son would go to prepare the way for the Lord, but he also knew about Mary. He knew that Mary was conceived, even though she, conceived and had a kid even though she was a virgin. And she knew that the angel had visited her and told her that he was the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He had come down. And so he knew about all of this. And for 10 months, he couldn't say a thing about it. And so now he's coming forth. He gets to speak, and he's talking about God, and he's praising him. And he's saying, you're glorious. You have come down to redeem us. You are going to save us. You have kept your promises. I have this expectation, Lord, that you'll do it in this way. So if you could take down those Romans, that'd be great, right? Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so in this, in this last section of the song, Zechariah finishes it up. By simply saying, hey, John, you are going to be the one who lights the path that leads them to true salvation and true peace. I think, you know, I, we today in, in our day and age, we long for real peace. But we search for peace in all the wrong places, Right? Oh, if that law would just get passed, then that, that'll bring peace, right? If we, if we vote into office that one person, oh, that'll do it. That'll bring about peace. If we have enough technology that can give us every convenience we could ever want and, and make life as easy as swiping and gesturing, then that, that'll, that'll bring peace, right? No, it won't. And, but we still long for it. And, and so this Christmas season, uh, Zechariah is reminding us today that true peace doesn't come from the temporary things, but it comes from Christ because he's the permanent fix. He's the permanent fix. And you can totally say amen if you want. I don't mind. And so we've walked through this song. And, and what do we do with this? What do we do with this song? A couple challenges and a couple uh, applications for you guys, and then, and then we'll close. Um, the first challenge is, guys, it's Christmas. Praise and worship God, okay? Like, Zechariah is singing a worship song to God because God has come down and fulfilled the promises, and we've already witnessed through reading his word what happens next. 
Jesus comes down and lives a perfect life, and then he comes and in a really an unexpected way, comes and dies on the cross for our sins and he raises from the dead. Easter, right? We celebrate that. And we worship God this Christmas season because we know that that little baby in the manger is the savior of the world who brings true peace, right? And, and really, we're called to praise him. I mean, that's my first challenge for you guys. Worship God. He is so worthy of it. He promised Abraham oh so long ago that he would do this, and he finally has. And we have finally witnessed that ourselves, and we know what's, what happens, right? And so we ourselves can repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus, and we can love him, and we can worship him, and we can live our lives for him, because we know that in doing that, we will get true and actual, real peace. Not some temporary peace by assassinating a king. And, and next, um, Zechariah in, in the second part, and maybe I'll swipe back here. Does that work? Are you supposed to know? Okay, so in this part here, remember he's talking about his enemies de- being defeated, and he's most likely thinking of the Romans coming and, he's in, and defeating the Romans, right? They're the enemy. We need to defeat them now. He's hoping that the Messiah will bring a quick, uh, right now, substantial win so that Israel can get their country back and not be ruled by these, the tyranny of the Romans, right? And, and so for us, and, and as we know, that's not how it went, right? Jesus was an unexpected Savior because he didn't come in power, even though he was the all-powerful, sovereign, mighty God of the universe. He didn't come in power. He came in humility and service. And he sacrificed his life to save. He didn't come and take everyone else's life and destroy enemies like Zechariah wanted. But he came and sacrificed himself in humility and service. And and so uh, the second thing is, is we can realize that, um, like, and, and maybe it's just another way we can worship God, is that we can realize that God is the unexpected Savior. A lot of times in our life, we have these expectations. Like for me, when I walked into that pizza pro, I did not expect to make a lifelong friend. I didn't know that was going to happen. I had no way I could have known. I went there to make some money so I could buy myself a new guitar. I didn't know I was going to make a friend that would come visit me yesterday and a friend I'd call Logie Bear. Yeah, I said that live, and I'm not ashamed of it. He's my best friend. Not as close as my wife. I don't want to get myself in trouble, but you know what I'm saying. And, and, and so I didn't expect that. And in the same way, Zechariah had an expectation for what the Messiah would come and do. And God went beyond that. He went beyond that expectation. He came and humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross for our sins. And so we have another reason to worship God this morning. And, and so I want to encourage you guys, too just with this final thought, is that um, a lot of times, a lot of times uh, things happen in ways that we don't expect them to happen, right? That despite, uh, despite, you know, I'm sure after Zacharias sang this song, like his expectations may have not been met in the way that he thought. Like if he was alive to witness Jesus getting old, and I don't actually know if he was, 
Um, but, but his expectations didn't really get met in the way that maybe he thought they would be based on just reading the psalm. And so a lot of times in our lives, we have an expectation for God to do certain things in our lives and they don't get met. But a lot of times they're going to be met in a way we never could have expected. And so uh, my challenge for you is to, no matter what happens to us in this life, we can trust God. Um, Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are a God who uh, came down, that you redeemed us, that you saved us, that you brought us true salvation, true peace. Thank you that you kept your promises that we can rely on you just by looking at this worship song that Zechariah wrote, that we can see that you are a God who keeps his promises and, and that we'll trust you from that, that you would encourage us to trust you. I pray also that you would help us to uh, trust you in life no matter what happens and that we would be humbled this Christmas season uh, that you came down not to not in power, but in humility to, uh, to serve us and that you would encourage us to do the same for others as an example and that we would uh, remember the goodness and grace of the gospel. Uh, thank you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a good day.